whenever Sunday we do it. We have all the kids come in, and I've always enjoyed doing that. And when we started doing that, my goal was to, you know, have them uh, be part of the service. And they're getting to the age now where I want them to learn how to sit in and listen. And and many of them take notes. And and uh, I always enjoy the feedback I get. I love our kids, and <clears throat> I love doing things with our kids and for our kids. And uh, and I just uh, appreciate all that they do. And little Riley last week wrote me a, a, out of the sermon that I preached. He kind of gave me an outline and gave me a little Bible study that he got out of it and put it in a letter form, wanting me to preach it today. So I thought I'd start my sermon off by reading his letter, and then I'll kind of work it in. It's pretty good. And this is what I'm talking about with our kids, you see. They are a lot smarter than you think they are. Riley's either going to be president or the Antichrist. I'm not sure which yet. <laughs> You're going to be my buddy however it goes, though, aren't you, pal, huh? Now, this is what he wrote. Now, you talk about listening and getting things down. Listen to this. This is great. God is in your heart, and the devil is bad in your heart by Riley C. The devil can take over your heart and brain. So can drugs and beer. God can take the bad devil stuff, and you don't care. Some of the people out uh, there can do whatever they want because of the devil. I know that I will never do drugs and beer, and I never want to do anything that the devil wants me to do. I know that everybody makes mistakes. I even made a mistake this morning. I was crying because I couldn't make my hair all slick back. My dad didn't like it. I think my mom did a little bit, <clears throat> but on Halloween, I get to do it so I can wait 48 hours. Everybody does drugs that I know that wasn't saved, and anybody can get a tattoo, a real one, but it's their choice, not ours. Anybody can do anything they want. It's not our thing to worry about. Love you, Pastor Bob. Thank you, buddy. I'm going to start my sermon with that today. <clears throat> now, as you know, we have been in the book of 1 Corinthians, coming through the aspect of how that it all kind of uh, works out and how that it, uh, uh, Christ is portrayed. We've been doing that in every book of the Bible. When we got to this one, we kind of held up a minute uh, because of where we're at as a church, and uh, we're going to take this book and then launch into 2 Corinthians here in the next couple of weeks, hopefully, <clears throat> and look at the greatest book in the Bible on ministry. In fact, 2 Corinthians has been called the handbook of ministry, and the great contrast is, is in 1 Corinthians, they're messed up on just about everything that they can be messed up on. And somewhere between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, they get it all straightened out. We'll talk about how that happened when we get to that book. But uh, where 1 Corinthians, chapter by chapter, he deals with them on all kinds of issues they're messed up on. In 2 Corinthians, chapter by chapter, he gives us the greatest insight on how to minister that you could ever have in your life. You will never understand true biblical ministry and how to make ministry work in your life till you first understand how this book works in your life. It is, without a doubt, where Romans is the handbook of Christian doctrine, 2 Corinthians is the handbook of, of uh, ministry. But we're not quite there yet. 
We're still finishing up chapter 16. And last week we, turned, uh, we learned uh, a couple of incredible uh, concepts about serving God, didn't we? Uh, two of the great, greatest, most, I think, uh, important uh, Bible principles that you're ever going to learn when it comes down to the ministry and understanding how it all works. You learned last week that, <clears throat> and the week before, that God <clears throat> gives open doors. Paul talked about in the passage we're going to read here for a moment. We've read it for three or four weeks now. He says, for a great door, an effectual is open unto me. We talked about the doors being opportunities in the Bible. We showed you examples of doors in the Bible, keys in the Bible. And I showed you how that for us, you and me, and this church, when God opens up a door, it's a great opportunity to do something. And it says door of effectual. It means with an effect having an effect on somebody with the cause of Christ because God gave you the open door. And it just so happened that we were at that place when God opened up the restart uh, program to go down there and uh, minister to them and, and uh, really uh, take over and help that, that situation down there and, and in time uh, bring about the spiritual uh, thing that we need to do there. But then the following week, we looked at the last part of that verse. And these two verses are key if you're ever going to get in ministry. Yes, God opens up great doors. Ah, but the last part of that verse we talked about last week, but there are many adversaries. And we talked about that last week, how that the adversaries are always there to try to stop what God is doing in your life. You know, as I thought this week a lot about <clears throat> last week and what I was going to try to put together this week, there, there, I, I, I thought about a great principle <clears throat> that kind of in connection with all this that you see throughout the Bible. And, you know, and that's the concept, again, of the nation of Israel. And you've heard me say many, many times of the great parallels between what Israel went through and what the church goes through today. And uh, in Israel's case, it deals with the promised land. God gave them the promised land. It was theirs. But they had to constantly stay in armed combat to stay in that land because God gave them the land, their open door, but then the adversary, the devil, brought the other nations that wanted to get them out. And in a physical sense, they had to fight physical battles with physical nations to be able to stay in the physical land that God gave them. That promised land is, is a picture of your life and my life once we get to a point that we simply live by the promises of God. But for you and me, we know from Ephesians 6 that our warfare is not physical. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual wickedness in high places, principalities and powers. <clears throat> and what we deal with, what we deal with is we deal with the aspect of the spiritual side of things. So just as they're in a constant warfare to stay in the physical land, you and I are in a constant spiritual battle to stay in the book and the promises that God has given us. And we see that uh, they have to continually fight their adversary to have what God wants for them to have, much as you and I have to do spiritually. But you also see that when God <coughs> takes them out of Egypt, if you study on a map and plot on a map, God brings them down and they come down around uh, on the east side of Jordan to a place called uh, uh, Kadesh. And that's where they send the spies over to the land and the spies come back and they give a bad report. And the whole nation of Israel fears and trembles. It's at that point that God says, you're not ready to face the adversities yet. So for the next 40 years, God takes them out wandering in the wilderness. And then 
40 years later, brings them back to the place where they come in and get over in that land. And what you find by studying that aspect going along with what we've talked about and what we're going to talk about today is you'll find that God on purpose takes them out of the way of adversity. He does not allow them right after they come out of Egypt to have to deal with all of the nations that are waiting for them. He gives them a period of time to get themselves uh, together, to get themselves in a relationship with God, to get themselves where they're ready to do something. And that in itself is a great thing to see. My old father and the Lord, Mel Sabaka, used to say, and it's a true statement, he used to say that God never sends green troops into combat. And that's a very true statement. And what we see with Israel is what we see in your life and my life, that when you get saved, there has to be a period of time, a process, where you start to put everything together. There has to be a growing time, a training process. You have to get some experience and some time under your belt. God's just not going to let you come into church and get right with God and suddenly throw you into pastoring someplace. God's not going to take you and, 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 and just, you know, give you a scenario where you now have responsible with people if you've not been doing it already on a consistent basis in your own life, in your own church and everything that where you're doing. And God won't take you young Christians here and just throw you into the, into the fire. What we're doing at Restart and what we do and everything that we do is that training process. You go down there with seasoned veterans who have experience in what's going on and you learn the process. You learn how to do that. And we see Paul doing the exact same thing with the men that he trains. Now let's read our text this morning and again, uh, we're going to move out of verse 9 and we'll come down through the rest of this passage here. But here's what he says, and we've read this now for three weeks, so we'll read it again. And it says, verse 9, 1 Corinthians 16, 9, For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. Now if Timothy come, see that thou may be, without, uh, be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord as I also do. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto me, for I look for him with the brethren. As touching our brothers Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren, but his will was not at all to come at this time, but he will come when he shall have convenient time. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Let all things be done with charity. Now, Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for those that have come out today. Again, we pray for the team in Wichita. We pray for uh, Shane and all of our boys in harm's way and <coughs> ladies that are serving our country faithfully around this world. And, Lord, we pray for the folks in our church that, uh, uh, that, are, uh, uh, that are here that have needs. We pray for uh, the, uh, Nikki and for uh, Stephanie and for uh, her sister who are coming back from the funeral and uh, today as they drive back, watch over them and we just pray that you continue to uh, bless our church, bless this afternoon. But Lord, let us quiet our hearts right now and just look at what we have here. Help us to grasp the great principles. Help these young men and young ladies who are the future of this church and the future of Christianity, Father, to get it right, get it straight, to do what Paul says and to stand fast and to, and to be like a man and to let all things be done with charity. And we'll thank you today and praise you in Jesus' name for we sake we ask it. Amen. Now, 
in the rest of this passage, down through the rest of the chapter, he basically talks about three men, really four. One of them's a lady. And uh, then he gives the church five commandments or things that they are to keep. Remember now that we're in chapter 16. We're in, he's finishing up his letter to them, and now he's leaving them with some final thoughts and some final instructions. And out of this writing of Paul, uh, we find uh, in all of his writings, it's an interesting thing. You find these three people showing up all the time. He makes a reference to them many, many, many times. And uh, uh, they're obviously key to what he's doing. They, they really are his helpers. They have gotten his heart and his burden and his vision. And it's clear by the way he uses them and talks about them that his burden has become their burden. And Paul talks much about how valuable they are to him. And we'll look at them in the next couple of weeks. We'll talk about one today who is very familiar, but we probably never looked at him in the light we're going to talk about him today. And that's found in verse 10 here with Timothy. And he says, Now if Timothy come, see that he may be with you without fear. For he worketh the work of the Lord as I do. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto me, for I look for him with the brethren. Now the first one he mentions here is Timothy. And we know a lot about Timothy. Uh, On our prayer groups, uh, Iron Man groups on Saturday morning, we're actually coming through uh, the 12 charges that Paul gave young Timothy, found in the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, preparing him to pastor. And I've told you many times, it's the same 12 charges that every pastor ought to follow if he wants to build a church. And, uh, and he's coming through these things with them. So we're, we're, we're quite familiar with him. And uh, I'm sure that Paul had many sons in the Lord. You know, the Bible has a way of taking one person or one group of people and telling a story about them, but in actuality, that, that those, those, there's many more people like it. And I'm sure that uh, Paul talks about Timothy, and he talks about Titus, and he talks about Philemon. And they were all men that he won to Christ, young men that he prepared for the ministry. But I'm telling you, Paul had thousands of young men just like that. But the Bible has a way of doing that. You know, an Adam and Eve is a good story. The Bible says that Adam and Eve lived for over 800 years, and they had kids all those years. Well, you imagine how many kids that must have been? Maybe 400, 300, <coughs> 200, 500, maybe more than that. I don't know. 800 years is a long time to have kids. And yet the Bible only focuses on two okay, that he had. And that's just the way that it really works. And you've got to know that about the Bible. And I'm sure that Paul had many sons in the ministry. Uh, but Paul gives the church at Corinth some specific instructions concerning Timothy which again, I think, really helps us understand. You can obviously see that Paul's a little concerned about sending Timothy down there because his instructions to that church are pretty straightforward and a little bit on the harsh side as far as, okay, this is what I'm afraid of. And the first thing he says, he says, now when I send him to him, let him be there with you without fear. And then he says, don't let any man despise him. That's some pretty hard stuff. And I personally think that once we're through with Timothy and the other men in the Bible that we're going to talk about in this chapter, I think, I think that uh, uh, these young men, uh, these people here, represent what makes a church really work and makes a church really uh, flow and makes a church really everything we got. We got one young man. We got one older man. 
And then we got a couple. And they're all found in the last chapter of this book. And I think that they make up, basically, uh, if you want a church that's going to be active, a church that's going to be, it takes all of that. And that's why he takes the time in this last chapter uh, to talk about it, but yet you find them referenced uh, all the way through. And we're going to look at them in the weeks to come, and we're going to study a little bit about them. But personally, I think that these three, uh, the, the Timothy, uh, Apollos, and then the third group, which is a husband and wife, I think they are a good model of what makes a healthy church. Now, Timothy represents young, a young man. And again, ladies, and we're not leaving you out, uh, the Bible, you know the cultural frame reference of the Bible, it, it goes toward the man. But in essence, uh, this same stuff applies to every young woman. And uh, Timothy represents a young man, or in our case, a, a young lady, somewhere probably between the age of uh, 18 and 30, I don't know, somewhere in there, what we consider pretty young. And, uh, but did you ever notice how God, did you ever notice how a God um, addresses some really key verses to young people in the Bible? It's an amazing thing. We talk about the book of Proverbs and the barbers being wisdom and all the things that come out of the book of Proverbs. But you know what? If you read the first seven chapters of Proverbs, he's not addressing that to any older people. He's addressing that to one of his young sons. And if that wasn't enough, when you get into Proverbs chapter 5 and Proverbs chapter 7, and it talks about the evil man and the strange woman who represent two different things in life that we have to deal with, the story is built around a young man. I mean, he really addresses some specific things because of how God looks at young people in the Bible. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1, what does he say there? He says, remember now thy creator in the days of thy what? Youth. While the evil day come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. I always thought it was interesting in that passage in your King James Bible that it says, remember now in the, uh, thy creator in the days of thy youth. The Holy Spirit of God knew that for you and for me and for most of the generation of the last 200 years or so, the greatest issue that you were going to have to face as a young person and everything that anybody ever taught you in a public school system was going to come down to the fact, was God creator? See? And the Bible says, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, before the evil day comes. And you know enough, we've talked about it in child training, that in every child's life, every young man, every young lady, as you grow up, there comes that evil day in your life. That evil day in your life is when you're faced with what to do, with what you've been taught and what you've been trained with the Word of God, basis what the world wants to give you now. And everybody, everybody has to face that. Nobody is, nobody's immune from that. But young people have a certain quality that God looks for if it's done right and if they're the way they need to be. In the first Timothy chapter four, verse twelve, it's another strange thing. Paul makes when he's talking to Timothy, he makes another reference to it. And here he says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Now look at that verse. Or just listen to it if you don't look got it there. He didn't say, Let no man despise thy youth, but be you an example of of uh, uh, be the example uh, to be a believer. He said, be an example of a believer. In other words, these are the things that a young man builds in his life and God will take those things and God will use him. The first thing is the word. Second thing is conver uh, his conversation. Then it's charity. Then it's spirit. Then it's faith. Then it's purity. 
You know, people have an affinity for clean, sharp-looking young men and young ladies. I think one of the biggest downsides to the 60s that caused so many problems, and, and, and people, people, that's when we went back to the hippie movement, you know, and most of you don't know what a hippie is, but uh, it, it was an anti-establishment crowd that let their hair grow long and, and, and never took a bath, and it was all young people. And they were hated by the established men who had went through World War II, many through World War I at that time, and uh, Korea, and, uh, and Vietnam was going on. And uh, it was a real uh, break between the old generation who had some real principles to this new generation that, uh, that uh, had no principles. And it was a real hatred and a real rift between the two. But it wasn't so much the ideas that they had that were different that made them hated. It was the fact that they looked, back then men wore a short haircut that were real men. I mean, everybody wears it today. But they were letting their hair grow as a statement against society. And they looked unkept. They looked unclean. They were, the, they were really a bad group of people. And the other generation looked at young people and were thinking to themselves, what an absolute waste because of the way they looked. Uh, because of the way they acted and because of the things that they did. That's when your drugs really came in and all the music that goes along with that. And uh, people like have an affinity for good, clean young men and young ladies. When a Bible college wants to uh, pick up people and get people to come to their school, you know what they do? They get a, they get a, a singing group of, of clean-cut young men and young ladies put them into a singing group, travel around the country to all the churches, and then uh, put those kids up there, and they sing, and they look great, and they're clean-cut. They say the right things. They're very polite. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. Everything is the way it looks like it's supposed to be, and the parents sit down, and they'll say, wow, that's the way I want my kid to be. So they ship them off to that school. That's how it works. As a young man or a young lady, you have <coughs> incredible power. When I used to preach and go to churches, and I preached probably in over, I don't know how many hundreds or maybe thousands of churches in my time, but when I'd go to a church to preach, and I'd be there over the weekend and over Sunday, and I was going to preach for the pastor, you know, the first thing I'd look for, I'd look at the young people. Because young people tell you what the spiritual phenomena of your church is. I'll take it one step further. I like when I say that. I'll take it one step further. See, I just accented what I said. Accents. I learned that on TV last week. <laughs> your children are the spiritual thermometer of your family. God has a special place for, for young people. He really does. He really does. And uh, young people can have a real impact. God can use them mightily. But the problem is that young people have limitations. And a problem happens when young people <coughs> don't understand their limitations and uh, therefore, it's, uh, it, it has its problem. Now, what makes a church a viable church, as far as I'm concerned, and, uh, is, is the young people in it. If you look at our church. Most churches have 80% people over 60, and maybe 10 to 15% in that age group, 18 to 1. We're just the opposite. If you're over 50 here, you're in, the, you're in the minority, not the majority. Now, that doesn't mean you're not as valuable as anybody else. It, but the bottom line is we're on the other side of the hill, and uh, they're still coming up the hill. 
and uh, it's a thing where we have to help each other, but you know what? I've seen some churches that everybody in it's 50, 60 years old, and I made a statement one time, and I said, well, that church will be, they'll close that door in 10 years. Guy looked at me, and he said, well, that's a not a very nice thing to say. He said, that's pretty much an attack on the pastor. And I said, no, it wasn't an attack on the pastor. I said, what do you mean by that? I said, in 10 years, everybody's going to be dead. <laughs> the pastor's 60. <clears throat> Excuse me, he's 75. <clears throat> everybody in it's in their 70s and their 80s. There's no young couples. There's no young people. I mean, you're going to die by attrition. Everybody's going to die. And, uh, you know, and that's just the way it works. It, we see it even in, in a greater way in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1. The devil knows this as well as I'm telling you today. When he wanted to stop the cause of Christ, uh, Christ ever being born, when the nation of Israel went into Babylon, he didn't go after the old people. The Bible tells you very clearly in Daniel chapter 1 that he wanted children who were with the king's seed. He wanted the young people because he knew that young people are the future to anything. And that's just the truth. That's just the truth. So God has a tremendous thing, and this is why Paul is telling these church at Corinth. He says, now you, uh, you, uh, you, don't, you don't let anybody despise him, and you don't make him afraid. But here's the problem with being a young person. And the problem is found, it's a great verse that just lays it out. Proverbs chapter 20 Verse 29. You want to mark this in your Bible. This really sums up your problem if you're between 18 and, oh, I don't know, 25. I don't know where your cutoff date is. For me, it's 18 to 60, but I can't speak for you. (laughs) But this really sums it up in a single verse. Now, it says in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 29, it says, the glory of young men is their strength. See that thing? And the beauty of old men is the gray head. Now, that's what it says. You see, young men have the strength to do just about anything they want to do. But you notice it says, it says the glory of young men. You see, the problem with young men is they have the strength to do it, but in most cases they do it for their own glory. You have a football star, a basketball star. A, a young man can play sports, he can, whether it's high school or college. He has the ability to work all day or all night, not get much sleep, and go right on with what he wants to do. He has unbounding energy. He can run hard. He can play hard. You know, he can work early Saturday morning or whatever he wants to do and come home and do some other things and then go play flag football with Kyle and then go out to eat with everybody and and, uh, and then stay out till 11 o'clock and then somebody says, hey, let's go to a movie. And you said, yeah, let's do it. And you've been running through the whole day. Steve Brackeen back here goes to bed at 8.30. I know that's true because I've tried to call him before. Yeah, what do you want? And I brag about, you people You people think I'm wonderful because I brag about that I don't go to bed till 12 midnight with all that I do, but then I sleep till noon. So it, it works it out on the other end. Not really. So a young man has the strength, you see, and a young ladies, but a young man has no experience with life. That's his downside. Many cases, or not most cases, they don't have any common sense. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean they haven't lived long enough. 
They have no thought of tomorrow. They only think about today. You know, you, we talk about saving money. What's that? We talk about, you know, you need to prepare for the future. You don't think about the future. Young people think about today. They're very limited in their perspective on things. That's not a bad thing. That's just the way it is. You see, a young man, an old preacher said one time, and it's so true, a young man has the heat, but he has no light. An old man has the light, <laughs> but he has no heat. <laughs> See, where a young man has the energy and the strength, the older man has the wisdom and the experience of 50, 60 years on earth and life, and he's been through some things. And that's the difference. And so you've got to learn that, that you've got to, as a young person, you've got to, you've got to be, ah, this is my favorite phrase in everything I do because it's so true. You've got to be smarter than the problem. You just have to. I had a friend of mine that was, uh, uh, had a friend of mine that was, uh, he had lost his job when he was in his 50s. And he went, he went to a job interview and he got past the first thing and, they, and he said, he said, all the, everybody was there was kids that was 19 and 20 and, you know, I'm, I'm 50 years old and he wasn't in bad shape, but, you know, you, you think the job was going to be kind of a physical job. And he said, I'm competing with all these kids up here. And he said, then I, he said, and this is the difference. This is the difference. Listen to me. This is the difference. And he said, you know what? We had a thing around here in this last session where everybody was together. And they asked some questions and they graded you on the questions. And so they asked each guy, each guy down the line, why do you want to work for our company? And, and the questions were typical young men questions without any kind of common sense or reasoning. One guy said, well, man, I want to get a lot of money so I can get a nice car. And he said, and they would, pl- they would play it. Well, what kind of car you want? Well, I want to get me an Lexus, you know, whatever that is. And then somebody else says, well, I want to get, I want to, you know, I want to do this because, uh, you know, I just, uh, you know, I just, I, I, I like this or do that. And it was all stupid stuff. And my guy in a moment knew that this was his chance. And on the wall, right between the table, and everybody saw it, was this company's mission statement. (laughs) Just a stupid little mission statement of this is what we do, provide a quality product, da 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 Right there, everybody could have saw it. But the younger kids had no clue. They want an Alexis. They want want this, want that. One guy wanted to buy a, a guitar, okay? His name was Bubba. He didn't get the job. <laughs> and this is pick on your friend today, by the way. Anyway, my guy's sitting there, and they're going around the room, and the guy says, and why, what, what would you like to work for this? And the guy said, well, you know what? He says, I've been impressed with a lot of things. He says, he says you know, I've, I've had a lot of experiences with work, and uh, I... I try to find out exactly what the employer wants, and then I think my job is to fulfill that. And I said, he said, the thing that really struck me of why I want to work for you is your mission statement. Your mission statement, and he went down through it, and he basically gave them a four-point outline. It probably is in some brochure someplace now because it was so good, and laid that thing off why he wanted to work for them because your qualities basically were my qualities. He got the job. And the rest of them are still trying to get an Alexa someplace, probably. <laughs> you see what I mean? This is the difference between somebody who had the energy to do the job. And, you know, it's a thing where the, the buzzword today is, you know, don't work harder, work smarter. 
And, and this guy was able to apply that. And that's exactly, that's exactly what it was. I had a friend of mine who, when I was in the Army, and he was, he was older than us, and he was going up for his sergeant exam. And there was a bunch of other younger guys there that were going through, and he told me this story later. And we laughed about it. I still laugh about it today. <clears throat> and he had to go before a major or a colonel or somebody because it was part of the exam process. And they would ask you a bunch of soldier questions, you know, and you're supposed to give soldiers answers, and then they evaluate your ability. And so <clears throat> they were asking a bunch of things, and, and you know, in the military, you got to have a haircut. You've got to look sharp when you go in there, you know, stand before the man, as we used to say. And he's up there, and his ki- these kids are up there, and they say, they'll say a uh, question like, uh, when does a good soldier need a haircut? Uh, every week, sir. Every, every five days. You know, everybody had the same. My guy goes up, my buddy goes up, and he's probably six or seven years older. Been, had a tour in Vietnam. You know, he, he had some things under his belt. He stands before the colonel, and the colonel says, uh, when does a good soldier need a haircut? He says, sir, good soldier never needs a haircut. See the difference? See the difference? He made sergeant. The other guy was there trying to get an Alexis and then get some sergeant stripes so he could go where he wanted to go. That's what I'm talking about. A young man might have the energy and the strength, but an older man has the wisdom and experience of 50, 60 years on this earth. I'll give you a great example. You take an 18-year-old or a 20-year-old and a 60-year-old. Give them both $50,000. The 18 or 20-year-old will blow through that in a month. He will spend it on every flivorous thing that is worthless. He'll doubt there and he'll, he'll, he'll blow through it like, Almost said crap through a goose. I'm glad I didn't say that. (laughs) Caught myself before I said it. (laughs) Didn't I? (laughs) He blew through it so fast it'd be gone. You give it to the 60-year-old, he may spend it, but he'll spend it on it wisely. See? He may invest it. Why? Because he's had some experience. See? The old man will invest it or spend it much more wisely. Because life has taught him some things, you see. Now, the reason why the young man, you know, will, will go through that, because he's got no experience in life. He never looks at tomorrow. He just thinks of today. He has no thought of saving money. And God forbid he has any thought that any of it belongs to God, see. He just, it's, it's all his, because that's where they're at. Now, in spite of that, in spite of that, young people have a great value in the Lord's work, within their limitations. You know, when I grew up, it was mandatory to do two years military service. We called it the draft back then. And uh, when you turned 18, you went down and registered for the Social Security office, you'd registered for the draft. You could expect probably within, oh, I don't know, two, three months to get a letter from Uncle Sam saying that you report on this particular date for your two-year commitment. Now, you could beat that, By, by, see, when you got drafted, you didn't have any say where you went. You could wind up anywhere. But if you enlisted and did four years, two more years, then you had to say what you wanted to do. They thought that was a good deal. But anyway, uh, it was a thing where that you got drafted. And everybody, every male had to spend uh, two years in the military. I think that was an excellent program. I think that was out. You realize in Israel right now that every, every young kid at 18 or spends two years in the military, and then when he gets out, 
that the whole population of Israel up to about what? I don't, 65 or 70 is still on the reserve army list and you are still in the military. Well, that's a good deal, I think. You learn some things in the military. <clears throat> I don't know what the military is like now. I think, you know, went to a volunteer army. I mean, it's a thing where, you know, things have changed a lot. I mean, they can't even hit you now. When I was in, man, they knocked you flat, boy. They threw some kid that couldn't haul a male running the road out of the upper story building, broke both arms in my platoon. I had a drill sergeant hit me because I dropped my rifle one time. I still got the scar in my head where he cracked me with an M14 and knocked me on the dusty ground. Then just laughed at me. I shot him later on, but nobody ever found out about that. <laughs> but things have changed, you see. With all this new don't tell, don't ask, I wouldn't, I don't know who I'd want to be in a foxhole with late at night in the dark anymore, you know. Got me a little worried about that. But, but I think overall, it taught discipline. It was good to get you out of your mama's home. And, and you were very told the first day when you got off the bus that this man that now was going to be your friend for the next eight weeks was not your mama and not your daddy. And he wasn't. But, uh, but they, 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 they built you into something. And I think the church's job is the same, much like that. They were in a physical war, physical army. We're in a spiritual army, spiritual war. And the church's job is to train you spiritually to build you up from the ground up, uh, to give you everything that God wants you to be, to be the soldier that he asked you to be. Children are great imitators. I, I, I love this about kids. And that's just part of growing up. They see mom and dad. They see the adult things they do. They see what goes on around them, and they, they imitate it. We just get so caught up we don't pay attention. That's why at Halloween... <coughs> They, they always, you get them to pick their costume. They always pick the costume of the person that's really important to them right now. Spider-Man. Rocket-Man. See, Cinderella. Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. The Tin Man. The, the Wolf-Man. Whoever he was. You know, and they, 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 they try to do that. Uh, when they grow up, they dress up and they play policemen. They dress up and they play army. They play cops and robbers. Cowboys and Indians. I don't know if they do that anymore. That's a racial thing now. You can't do anything with the Indians. <laughs> Girls play house. They play nurse. Uh, they get a little baby doll that looks like a real one, and they make them as real as they can. They'll push them. They say, Mama. They'll wet their diapers. That's interesting. <laughs> you give them a bottle and actually feed them. And they walk around pretending, dress them like their clothes. But it's all pretend, folks. I mean, do you actually think there's really, they're really at that age ready to take on real responsibility that goes with any of those jobs? Absolutely not. Ch- children are great pretend. And this is where a lot of parents make mistakes about their kids getting saved. Because kids can pretend that they understand it when they really don't. And because parents aren't dialed into it, they think the first time they want their kid to go to heaven so bad, the first time out of their mouth, I want to get saved. They just think that's it. If you don't do it now, they're going to go to hell and spend eternity in the lake of fire. And so you jump on the bandwagon, and it's, they're in that point where they're pretending because of what they see around them and what they hear from church and from me and from you. And it's, but it hasn't, it hasn't sunk in yet. But that's just the way it works. And as boys and girls grow up into adults, 18 to 25 growing up, especially men, they see the ministry the same way and preaching and soul winning. 
You know, I, I, and I, I, they think, wow, you know, I want to do that. Uh, that's really neat. And I want to do that. And that's great. That really is. I, 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 I don't take this in a wrong way. I've been, in, I've been around for a while, and I know, I, I know that the initial excitement of something is, uh, is wanes off in time when you find out that with the excitement of doing something comes a nasty word called responsibility. I've had 500 people come up to me and hug me and slap me on the back and saying, man, this, this thing, this restart thing of going down here and doing this, and this is the, this, I had a couple of, I didn't say this, but I thought this. I had a, last week or two weeks ago, I forget what it was, uh, some a number of people came up and, and said, man, I want to, this is what I've been waiting for. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm really going to go. This is where I'm going to get involved. This is what I want to do. And I'm saying to myself, and I'm smiling, you know, and saying all the things I'm supposed to say, but in my mind, I am thinking, hey, we've been down there five weeks. Where you been? And you know what? The real proof isn't you excited and slapping me on the back. Wait till it's 20 below zero and the snow's six inches deep and you got a nasty cold and you want to stay in bed and you don't want to get out and yet there's a responsibility that needs to be done. We'll find where, you're, where it's really at. You see, it's nice down here to say it. But that's what, that's what, that's what people do. That's what young people do. They, they, they have the energy, but they don't have the light. And so they imitate that. And, but what the real, they don't have the ability at this point to have the real understanding of the commitment that it's going to take. And that's why he says, let no man despise thy youth. God has some great things for young people, but young people have to understand that they have limitations they have to work through. You know, older people will get a real blessing out of you and in and, 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 uh, and, 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 and your walk with God and the things that you do but they will not accept hard preaching coming from you. You know why? Because you, they know what you ain't figured out yet. They know you don't know nothing about life. You know, you ain't been when they've been. They've walked this ground for 60 years. You walked it for 18, and you're going to tell them about their problems? You see, you're imitating what you hear. That's all. Now, I got to tell you, there's a way to preach hard to people without getting them upset and rejecting it. But you have to be smarter than the people you're preaching to. And young men and young ladies just don't really have that at this particular point. But that's something you have to learn. You just have to learn. Instead of knowing your limitations and recognize that because we're young, because we don't have the, the light, you know, we just chalk it off. Well, the, you know, they're unspiritual. You know, they got spiritual problems. And you never, you go on through your life preaching stupid messages because you're stupid. That's what I wanted to say. <laughs> You're one-dimensional in everything that we do, but that's the way young men are. You see, you see me get away with it, but yet you don't want you to understand that if I went someplace, somebody else's church to preach, I'd never preach like I preach here. You know why? Because I haven't earned the right to. Here, I've earned the right to do whatever I want to do. This is my church. I started this from scratch. You don't like it. There's a door back there with two hinges on it. Hit the road. I'll tell you what I think and preach the way God wants me to preach, and I'll put it on the table. You don't like it? It's okay. But I don't have that right anyplace else. You want to see me fine cultured and just my fingernails all shining and my toenails looking good and, and just walking in there with every hair in place and just looking like I'm the most respectable person? Just watch me go into somebody else's church. Because I haven't earned a right to say things like I say here. 
but people don't, young people don't get that because they imitate what they see. He, you're not me. You're not a man who's 60 years old who's fulfilled and has a successful ministry. You know, it's a, the people will take it from him because he's got some water uh, behind him. He's got some things that he's done coming out of the chute and just saying out there your first sermon and clobbering everybody because this is the way you, Bob does it or the way I heard somebody else do it. That's what young people do. And that's why I'm saying, you know, it's, uh, it's, they don't have any light. They just don't. And that's, you know what, the truth of it is, that's why so many kids fight with their parents. They don't know anything. I'm a man. I'm a woman. I smoke. I drink. I fornicate. I'm 16, 17, 18, and 19. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Well, you're not a man. You're not, even an, you're not even a good imitation of an adult. You have no idea what your parents do or what a real adult does or what it takes to be like a real adult. You know, most of kids growing up today live in a fantasy world. They really do. You play fantasy football. I'm not against it. You play fantasy football. You play fantasy basketball, I guess. I don't know. And, you know, you sit on a TV with your Xbox or X2 box or XD box or whatever it is, and you play war games. And people come around the corner, and you kill them, and you shoot them. There were boys in World War II who lied about their age at 15 and fought on Iwo Jima and Okinawa that saw some of the bloodiest battles on this planet and saw horrors of war that you and I and I could never grasp. And it wasn't on an Xbox. It's fantasy. It's no wonder when you would get hit with the real world, you fold up like a broken accordion because all your life up to a certain point has been fantasy. You spend endless hours watching TV, crying about over a movie where somebody died and they were in love and they died. And you spend weep and cry and you sit there. And the reality is they're at the bank counting their money that they made in the movie. Alive, fat, and happy. It's not even real. And yet somebody can die and go to hell, which is real, and spend an eternal lake of fire. Some of your very friends, and there's no tears shed. You know why? Because young people's lives is a fantasy. So a kid gets to be 16 or 7, 18, 19 year old, and he, he doesn't listen to his parents. He's got all life down. I'm an adult. You have no idea. You stay up all night. You sleep all day. You don't lift a finger around the house. You wear your pants halfway down your rear end. You dress and wear jewelry like a woman. You run around with a crowd. You can't take a stand for anything. I want you want to act like an adult, and you, but you don't want any of the accountability or, or responsibility. You want to get tattooed like some sideshow freak and walk around and say, look at me. I'm a man. I'm an adult. You're out of your mind. You don't even know what it is. Your mama washes your clothes probably works eight hours a day. She fixes your meals. She takes care of you when you're sick. You lay around all day long while your dad works his tail off many times, two jobs to keep you in food, heat, running water and lights. And he has, he has, he has provided all the con- comforts of life for you. When you got a car, he probably helped you get it and probably helped you pay your insurance. But you know all about life. And I'll stop right there. You know why? Because I could preach that message 24-7 and you still won't get it. You know why, kid? Because you got no light can't get it you have no clue what it takes to be an adult and what it means to be adult 
I told you the story before. I bought my kids their first car. And I think it was Kelly, I think. We went into the car thing, and I'm looking in the used car lot. I can't find her. Guess where she's at? <laughs> and I, you know, and I, I didn't say anything. I just kind of gingerly, look at this one. And I, and I, you know, and it was typical. And I laughed, and I, and I used it as an illustration many, many times because it's true. She went into that thing. We looked at the car, and she was looking at the color. She was looking at the, uh, the interior. She was looking at how fast it would go. Yeah, we don't know about that. She'd look at all of the things, and she checked everything on that car except one thing, the price tag. But that's the way kids are. That's the way young people are. But in spite of all that, in spite of all that, God can use you. I mean, that's the way it goes in ministry with young men most of the time. Every once in a while you find some that are quite an exception to it, but not very often. That's why Paul's take, talking to Timothy about ministry. When he talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, he says, not a novice. You've got to get, get some principles under your belt. You've got to get some things together. You see in, this, in your preaching, many of you, when down, even down at the mission, you imitate what I do or what you've heard somebody else do, and then you wonder why they get mad and they don't want to listen to you. I like to sit up there for one reason. Not that because I like to sit up on a thing. I like to watch the exact moment they shut you off. Because you can see it. And that's just the way it goes. You haven't earned the right. I haven't ever preached on mission in our time, but if I did, I'd preach totally different than I preach here. I haven't earned the right down there. So Paul knows all these things, you see. And that's why he says, let no man despise thy youth. He's telling Timothy, you need to be smarter than the problem. But he says, be now an example of the believer. In word, you got to know it. In conversation, that's how you say what you say. In charity, that have to have that in all that you do. In spirit, that's not God's spirit, that's man's spirit. That's how you preach, Job 26. What spirit came from thee? In faith and purity. You got to live what you preach. And you've got to be smarter than the people that you preach to. You've got to know your crowd. We're going to deal with this next Saturday in our, in our, in our time for the, for the young men. You know, there's four key words in Proverbs that is what everybody needs who's going to do ministry. And I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but they're all addressed to a young man. He talks about discernment. He talks about discretion. He talks about wisdom. And he talks about understanding. Now, understanding is the key to the other three because understanding is your ability to use the first three. But that's why he says. Now, the second aspect of this that you want to know is why Paul warns the church of Corinth of, of some older Christians will reject you as a young person moving past them in your spiritual growth. You see, you've got to know these things. Paul knows the church at Corinth, a bunch of spiritual babies. He's told them that three or four times. We've also seen they've got a very bad power structure, don't they? Very selfish, very prideful. And they, I guarantee you, they will squash anybody who tries to move up the spiritual ladder to, to grow with God. And I, all my life I've seen this happen with older Christians, sandbagging younger Christians, you know, holding them back. I mean, and, and the reason for it is because they, they're... They're, they're threatened themselves. They're insecure. They really don't have a relationship with God. 
they got a little power thing, and when they see you moving past them or you getting better than they, I've seen it with pastors. I've seen pastors surround himself with some of the most god awfulest preachers you ever heard in your life. I mean, they couldn't preach their way out of a wet paper bag. They are the worst speakers, the worst preachers that you have ever heard in your life. But that's who the pastor gives the jobs to when he's got five or six other guys who can haul the mail. Do you know why he gives the job and the responsibility to those idiots who can't speak? Because he'll never let anybody get in that pulpit that speaks better than he does. Because he's insecure. See? It threatens him. It threatens him. Oh, the last thing he ever wants to hear is you're standing there and shaking hands with a pastor and he's standing there with you and one of your people come up and said, that was a great sermon. Pastor, why don't you preach things like that? Oh, that's the last thing you want to hear? You're done right then. My advice at that point is get that little black capsule that they put in those things and swallow it and die peacefully because you're done. You're done. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it with deacons and leaders. They have a little power base. And boy, you're not going to shake that. You see, real biblical leadership has to be free from that kind of hypocrisy. Nothing, nothing holds a church back more and in time kills its zeal than the inability to build leaders and give them the ability to surpass anybody in that church. There's no good old boys club in this church. You can do whatever you want to do, and you can have whatever you want, but you have to go through the process. And that's just the way it has to be. Real leadership is not just leading, but knowing how to build leadership and then letting them lead. You never lead to be popular. You never lead to be popular. That's another mistake that young men make because we don't want to make enemies. I don't want to make enemies. But I'd rather have you as my enemy for preaching the Word of God than God as my enemy for not preaching the Word of God, and that's where it lays, you see. You don't lead to be popular, you lead to be biblical. You're not going to be perfect. You're not, I'm not perfect. I make so many mistakes, and I make mistakes in judgment and all of those things. But the bottom line is, you know, I'm human like anybody else, but you don't lead to be popular. You don't. You never lead to be popular. You lead to be biblical. And as a young person, male or female, you've got to understand this. Be prepared. You cannot stop it. It's always going to be there, but you've got to be smarter than a problem. It's a fact of life, and you want to remember it. People who do nothing will always resent those who do something. And you just got to deal with it. So he says, let no man despise thy youth. He says, let no man therefore despise him, that he may be with you without fear. See, Paul is telling Timothy... You're going down there, and you got to be smarter than the problem. You can't go in there because you've been hanging out with me, and you see me writing these letters and dealing with these people. You can't go down there that way. You're just a young guy. you got to be smarter than that problem. So uh, he's telling Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. Then he's telling the church, don't you despise him either. You give him a chance. And that's what you're dealing with. You're going to deal with young people who, who, who and God wants to use them. It, they are tremendous. They have an absolute incredible impact in the ministry. They what makes a church alive and viable and working and keep going and growing. But everybody has to understand their limitations. And a young man or a young lady needs to know that there's certain things that they can say and there's certain things that they can't get away with. And a young man needs to know that in any church there's going to be somebody that's going to try to hold you back, and that's just what it is. The job of any church is to give you the structure and the tools for growth. 
The job of any church is to take those tools, uh, uh, or excuse me, the job of any Christian is to take those tools within that structure and work through your limitations and then build that discernment, that wisdom, and that discretion in time that you get understanding. This is what the Bible called in Ephesians 4, perfecting the saints. Now, how does that work for me? My plan is simple. I'm not under any illusion. My plan with young ladies and young men is simple. I'll give you my light, but you give me your strength. I'll put it all together. I'll teach you. I'll show you. I'll help you. I'll walk you through the process. You got the energy that I don't have anymore. You know, there was a time in my life when I'd go to youth camp, and I'd have, we'd run those camps, and we'd have 60, 70, 80 kids down there, maybe 120, and it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a five-day marathon, man. You got no sleep at night. You were up running all day long and were dealing with every problem that came up. And boy, by the end of that week, I mean, it took me probably two or three days to recover after that thing. Uh, it's like a football player. These young guys go out there and play, and they're in their 18s and their 20s. They can have a hard football game, and they bounce back the next day. A guy's been playing 10, 15 years, probably takes him a week. You don't bounce back as fast. And uh, I couldn't do those things anymore today. There was a time when I'd preach so hard that I could, people thought I was going to have a heart attack. If I preached that hard now, I would have a heart attack. I mean, you just can't do it anymore. You see? That's the way it's supposed to be. I, I, I got the light that you have. You got the energy that I need, but I got the light that you need. And that's why we work together, okay? That's what makes this church click. I'm, I'm old school in many things. I don't go into this modern mindset much. I don't say this for any other reason to make my point, but... Uh, I'm just telling you, and you're probably not even aware of this, that you give me 99.9% of the pastors in this city, and they started a program to restart, you would not see them down there. They'd send you down. And they stand in the pulpit and brag about what a great job we're all doing, but they weren't going to be down there. See, to me, that's, I wasn't trained that way. I, I'm just not. I was taught different. I was taught a commander leads. And he leads from the front, not from the rear with the gear. Uh, a leader's first, is, uh, a pastor particularly, whatever he does, he has to be the first boots on the ground and the last boots out. Just that simple. Because that's what leadership is. And leaders have to follow that same pattern. And the problem with most churches is that they won't, the pastor won't be the leader. He, want, he, he kids himself into thinking he does leaders, but he doesn't because he's not there to lead. And so the thing goes into chaos. And it's a, it's a deal where you, as young men and young ladies, which make up the body of this church, you are the key. And that's why you got the energy I don't have. I got the light you don't have. When we work together in ministry, I can impart my light to you and let you get the energy done. And uh, that's how things happen. But you have to work within your limitations. You have to be smarter than the problem. You have to be smarter than the people you're preaching to. You have to be able to look at your crowd and understand and size it up. You have to be able to look at any given situation. Don't look at what appears. Look from experience what you know is going to appear that you just can't see. Don't look at any situation as it appears. Look at the situation as it really is. You just can't do that at this point. That's why some of you will have a great idea, and I'll say, well, I really appreciate that, but that won't work, and here's why. See? In other words, I'm not discounting your idea. It's the fact that I've tried that idea 25 years ago, and it didn't work, and it won't work 25 years later. But I appreciate the idea. That's what I want. 
but now let's take what's good of the idea and make it work in a workable way. This is what he's saying. And this is why he says to Timothy that no man despise thy youth. Timothy, you be smarter than the people you're going down there. You're going down there for me. I can't get there. You're going for me. Be smarter than the people that you're going down to. And then he says to the church, look, I'm sending my son of the Lord down there. He's my helper in the ministry, and he's going to be my replacement. Don't you give him any grief. I know you're a bunch of spiritual babies, and you got your little power structure down there, but I'm telling you right now, don't let anybody despise him, and don't let anybody give him any reason to be afraid of you guys. He's doing for me what I can't do right now. Cut him some slack. Two-way street, you see? These are great things to learn. They're great things to learn right now because where we're at, the older folks in here that have the stability that's been around for a while, they'll always be the anchor. They'll always be the one that everything runs from. They're the anchor. They're the ones that have known life, been through life, have the wisdom of life and the principles of life. And they may not even have all the Bible down yesterday, but understanding life in general with common sense is a great value. They'll always be the anchor. And we don't have the energy to go out there. You do. So we take our light, your energy, mix it into a marriage, into a church through the Spirit of God, get the job done. That's how it works. All right, let's pray. Give you five minutes when we're done.